Shohei Otani hits, pitches, and trades crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all. FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs, and more in minutes. FTX, Shohei's in. Are you? Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to the Fitz on Fantasy podcast. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. You can find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF, and you can always find my weekly fantasy rankings at thefootballgirl.com. They go up bright and early every Tuesday morning and are updated frequently throughout the week. Folks, this is not just any ordinary episode of Fitz on Fantasy. This is a special Halloween episode. And my guest this week is John Evans, a contributor to Yahoo's fantasy football coverage. You can find him on Twitter at John F underscore Evans. And not only is John a terrific fantasy football analyst, he is also the co-host of a horror movie podcast called Darkest Hour. I had John on my show for Halloween week last year as well, and I have one lingering regret from that show. I feel like I missed a golden opportunity. And finally, after a full calendar year, I get to have John back on the show again and can finally, oh, rectify that earlier screw up. So I will summon John in just a moment. But first, let's talk about the swerve that the Lions put on us last week. So carry on Johnson goes on injured reserve and the Lions don't make any moves at running back. And it looks like the number two man on the depth chart, Ty Johnson, rookie sixth rounder out of Maryland, is going to be the primary early down back for Detroit. J.D. McKissick was probably going to figure in too, but McKissick is a smaller back with more of a third down skill set. It didn't seem like there was any chance he'd be the lead runner. But the week before Detroit put carry on on IR, they had quietly signed Trey Carson, who'd had a cup of coffee with the Packers this season. Carson was an undrafted free agent out of Texas A&M in 2015. And before Sunday, he had only six NFL carries. But Carson had played for Lions running back coach Kyle Kasky when they were both with the Bengals. Carson had spent a couple of years on the practice squad in Cincinnati So come Sunday, it was actually Carson who got the start, not Ty Johnson. And Carson had a team-high 12 carries. A lot of people felt duped. But hang on a minute. Carson's 12 carries netted only 34 yards, and he didn't catch a pass. Ty Johnson still led the Detroit running backs in snaps on Sunday, and his 38 yards from scrimmage were more than Johnson's 34 I know that is a little consolation of the people who dropped major dollars on Ty Johnson in waiver bidding last week, but there's still more to come here. The tale has not been fully written yet, Uh, but damn it, it's frustrating when we get fooled by these things. I fell for it too. Uh, Stupid Matt Patricia. But hey man, that's fantasy football. We're all going to get swerved now and again. 
All right, enough Ty Johnson talk. I'm getting depressed. Let's bring in our guest. It's time to talk to John Evans. Joining me now is John Evans, a frequent contributor to Yahoo's fantasy football coverage. And he's also the co-host of the X's and Y's fantasy football podcast, along with Liz Loza, which unfortunately is on sabbatical at the moment, but hopefully we'll be back at some point in the near future. And uh, John is also the co-host of the Darkest Hour podcast, which is about horror movies. You can find him on Twitter at John F underscore Evans. He was also my guest last year on Halloween week. John, you are my designated knife-wielding maniac. <laughs> Welcome back. Thanks, Pat. Great to be back. And yeah, I love this time of year. That's for sure. I'm sort of enjoying uh, Halloween to the fullest right now. Yeah. And if you didn't already have enough uh, Prince of Darkness cred, it just so happens that you're also a fan of the Oakland Raiders. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's not a coincidence either. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll get to the Raiders in a moment. But uh, first, let's talk about the other Bay Area team, the San Francisco 49ers. I have to ask you this, first of all. So the 49ers had their great dynastic era under Bill Walsh with Joe Montana at quarterback, immediately followed by Steve Young. Then the dynasty ends, but they still have a couple of good years with Jeff Garcia at quarterback. Then it's skid row for a few years, but they get back on their feet with Jim Harbaugh and Colin Kaepernick, get to multiple conference championship games, get to a Super Bowl, few more years on skid row, but now they're back on their feet again, undefeated at 7-0, 7-0. And meanwhile, the Raiders have had it pretty rough since their heyday in the late 70s and early to mid-80s. A few competent years with Art Shell, nice little run with John Gruden at the turn of the millennium, but then one winning season since 2002. So as a Raiders fan, does the 49ers' success so far this season annoy you at all? Well, I mean, not not per se. I mean, I don't feel a big kind of uh, Bay Area rivalry there um, personally. I mean, I'm not actually from Oakland. Um, I kind of just came by the Raiders in childhood um, because I liked the the costumes in the in the black hole when I was a little kid, and I stumbled in on my grandfather watching them uh, play the Bears because uh, I was in the Midwest in the Chicago area at that time. So, uh, you know, obviously San Francisco's uh, had a lot more recent ish glory, but they've they've certainly had their their humiliation and their shame and their um, in the years in the doldrums uh, of late. So actually, I mean, compared to a lot of teams out there, I, I can somewhat get behind San Francisco and I, I am enjoying what Kyle Shanahan is doing. That's for sure. Yeah. From a fantasy standpoint. Um, so I don't know about you, but all summer I sort of faded Tevin Coleman because I liked Matt Breida and I've sort of been fading Coleman in weekly rankings throughout 2019, but now he's had six touchdowns in his last four games and he's averaged 16.3 carries a game over that stretch. Now Brita has an ankle injury, although it's thought to be relatively minor. Raheem Mostert has some sort of knee issue. Is this turning into Coleman's backfield or is he at least establishing himself as the head of a committee? Or do you think this backfield is usually going to be a little messier than it seems to be at the moment? You know, I think it's looking pretty good for him on Thursday night. That's for sure. Um, I wouldn't say that uh, he's going to get the usual competition for carries that he might in a week where Brita is 100% and 
uh, Mostert and, and Wilson are always, you know, lurking around in the background. But it does, I, I will say, Coleman has played better lately than I uh, expected him to. I've never been a huge fan. Uh, I think he's a pretty limited runner, but he's he's done some nice things. He's looked a little more agile and, and, and nimble and explosive. Well, he's always had the straight line speed, but he, he's made guys miss a little bit more uh, than in previous seasons. Obviously, he has the benefit of a fantastic blocking scheme uh, in the Shanahan outside zone that it doesn't seem to matter who they plug in on the offensive line to make it work either that or they've just been phenomenally lucky with some pretty no-name tackles who've been pressed into service but it's all clicking right now and i wouldn't like i wouldn't expect coleman to fall on his face i mean obviously he's he's not the most durable guy uh, any more than Brita, but I mean, Brita is kind of inevitably, I was, I was on team Brita as well, um, going into the year. And I think he is a more explosive back, but he's, he's gone into that banged up season of, uh, of, of part of his season. So I think, and, and the other guys have not been anything special. So right now I would keep writing Coleman. Yeah. I, I think he's, he's a fairly, as safe a bet as you're going to find at, at running back. John, can we trust any of the 49ers pass catchers other than George Kittle? Can we now play Manny Sanders with confidence uh, since he has a game under his belt with his new team? Or uh, is there still some trepidation on your part rolling out any of these guys besides Kittle? Yeah, I mean, I think outside of a a, a desperation uh, situation, you're probably going to have better options than the 49ers passing game, Kittle excluded, of course. I just don't think that uh, that's what they want to do. And I don't think that's what they're going to need to do is rely on the passing game. And I think it's possible that that Sanders just being in a, in a more prolific, um, uh, not more prolific offense, but, you know, an offense that will put him in good situations if, if he is going to be the guy in the receiving core um, uh, around the red, around the red zone, you know, if it's not, if they're not handing it off, Jimmy Garoppolo is not throwing a lot of touchdown passes, but I mean, I think he might, if he really emerges as the alpha among the receivers there, there, there might be a pretty good chance of him scoring a touchdown every other week or something, but I don't think he's going to, uh, put up a whole ton of, of yards in this offense. Cause that's just not the way they want to play. And there's a, a there's a lot of guys that are going to have access to the end zone on this team. Yeah, and that's the weird thing uh, mentioning the way they want to play. It just seems odd that this is a seven and O team being helmed by a quarterback that no one seems especially eager to start in fantasy. And Mm-mm. Jimmy G's raw totals haven't been that impressive so far, but. The schedule's pretty manageable the rest of the way, starting with the Cardinals this week. Um, any reason to think that handsome Jimmy G can be more than just a streamer in single QB leagues, or do you think that's kind of his fate for this year? Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm staying away from him. I, I don't think he's playing particularly well. I mean, I think uh, I don't know. You know, just statistically, he's he's thrown an interception every game but one, and this is in you know a lot of positive game script situations. It just kind of seems like he has this brain fart kind of mistake. Uh, put the ball up for grabs at, at least once a game. I mean, these aren't uh, deflected balls. You know, sort of uh, blameless interceptions. I, I think he's he's being asked to do very little as they focus on the run and play great defense. And I think part of that is that. 
for whatever reason, he he's just he's not playing well this season. So I wouldn't want to rely on him. I think they might be pressed by certain offenses. I don't think the Cardinals are going to press them uh, to to put the ball in the air. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, we get this. Uh, it's like he's this game manager now, but when he was traded to the 49ers late in that year and he, he finally gets in, you know, at first they decide they're not going to play him and then they say, okay, let's, let's see what we've got. And he looked terrific. He was like this playmaker and he didn't have a lot to work with. Now, I mean, the supporting cast is so much better and like he seems like a lesser quarterback now. Don't quite understand it. Yeah, I think that he he definitely uh, showed more than he he has this season. But I think that right now he's he's not playing that well. He's not seeing the field that well. It, it could change. Um, but I I really am I'm, I'm looking at the at, at so many other quarterbacks that I think are a better bet for you in fantasy at this point. All right, John. Let's talk about the Raiders now. Um, you know they're. They're so much better offensively than I expected them to be and so much more fun to watch than a lot of us expected them to be. Um, And the two biggest eye-openers offensively have obviously been Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs. Uh, Jacobs was such a polarizing prospect for a lot of people in the fantasy community, but man, he's been pretty convincing so far, hasn't he? Oh, yeah. I mean, he is the real deal. I am so happy with him. And he wasn't somebody that I really expected uh, to take the world by storm because, you know, he simply that whole adage of him not being good enough to rest away control of the Alabama backfield over, you know, his competition there. And uh, it, it, it definitely seems like maybe that was to his benefit that he wasn't run into the ground there. Like some of those uh, Alabama backs who come out really worn down or Alabama players in general uh, have more injury problems. I mean, obviously he's a little banged up right now. I don't think the shoulder injury is anything that uh, we need to worry about too much. He still looked really good against Houston, but I think he's, uh, <laughs> I mean, he's phenomenal at making guys miss and uh, breaking tackles and his instincts. And I think that he's going to continue to improve as a pass catcher too. He's doing fine in that regard. Yeah, that's what I really had my trouble getting my head around, that he was a committee back at Alabama you know, splitting carries with Damian Harris, Najee Harris, and that he was going to become this workhorse in the NFL. But that's pretty much exactly what he's done. He's really shouldered that burden well. Uh, you mentioned the shoulder issue, but he played through it on Sunday in week eight and uh, did pretty well. And my God, this guy's feet are just unbelievable. I mean, he is just so got to have one of the quickest pairs of feet of any back in the league. I mean, it's just amazing what this guy does in the hole. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he's, you, you want, he, he is one of those backs that you watch his runs and you just kind of, you know, like your breath catches. You're like, wow, how did he do that? And it's, it's fantastic. I mean, we haven't had a lot of those guys, but uh, he's, he's kind of cruising up on a lot of, uh, he's actually ahead of Bo Jackson's, um, totals to this point in his first year with the team. So it's, it's pretty exciting right now um, to have a running back of his caliber. And I just hope that he can stay healthy and the offensive line is actually playing quite well. So let's talk about Waller for a second. I I remember seeing him in preseason games back when he was trying to break in with the Ravens and thinking, 
Jesus, who is this giant velociraptor? Uh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the guy's six six, has this crazy wingspan, and then he had sub four five speed, which is just you know insane for a tight end. So then he gets suspended twice for drug and alcohol issues, and it looked like his career was never going to get off the ground. But now, I think it's safe to say his career has gotten off the ground. Uh, first of all, John. It's nice that the Raiders get this guy at the right time in his career arc because the guys with the off-field issues usually don't start walking the straight and narrow when they get to Oakland. So give me your take on this guy. What, whatever comes to mind with this magnificent freak you guys have at tight end. <laughs> yeah, what a story Waller is, isn't he? And it was really interesting during the offseason. I mean, obviously, as a Raiders fan, he was so very much on my radar and I was trying to scoop him up in, in every fantasy league that I could. And, uh, you know, of course, now my thought is all those that I that I didn't get him in and uh, the time that I traded him as a throw in for a deal for Hunter Henry, for example. Um, but uh, but I do have him and I, I, I've always, you know, he, he is such a tantalizing combination of size and speed that those guys come along like Rico gathers and, you know, there's these players that, that seem to have the metrics, whether at the tight end or, or the receiver position or even a, a running back uh, that tantalize and then nothing really happens that, you know, most of the time, I don't know if it's nine out of 10, but uh, these stories are very rare when he does uh, live up to the hype and the, the the buzz was consistent, like from mini camps on like how great he was looking and, yeah, I just it wasn't something he didn't flash all that brightly, uh, even in um, practice reports in, in Baltimore, to my knowledge. So I think that really just kind of, you know, for lack of a better phrase, getting his head on straight and, you know, banishing his demons. He's just taken his his level of play to a whole other level. And, and now, you know, it's it, there's also a precision and a, and a the route running and the football instincts are, are, are there on top of this, you know, kind of otherworldly to a degree combination of physical traits. So yeah, it's exciting. And I think it's, we've certainly seen enough. I don't think that's going away. I think that he's going to be a, a consistent thing and he's, he's still a young guy. So that's another building block here in this offense. I know it's early to speculate on this, but for 2020 drafts, like if assuming Waller keeps playing like this, do you think he's a top three next season in fantasy drafts? Does he maybe replace Zach Ertz in the so-called big three and join Kelsey and Kittle? Because, I mean, just looking at the raw physical tools, like Austin Hooper's having a really nice season. Uh, Hunter Henry is a pretty good tight end, but like they do not have the physical gifts the Waller has. I mean, it seems to me I would rather have this guy than either of those guys. Yes. Yes. I mean, things could change with the offense. Um, but you know, as long as Derek Carr is the, the quarterback, uh, and I think, you know, and, and I don't think John Gruden's going anywhere. I mean, I think as long as the situation and he doesn't suffer a serious injury, God forbid, or anything like that, if, if nothing major changes, yeah, I, I, I think we're just going to keep, uh, we're going to slot him right in there. And, and even that's if he slows down a little bit in his production. I think that, you know, what there's enough here that we can count on to to, to, to draft him with that kind of confidence. And, and, and some other guys like Ertz, I, I think that there, there there's definitely a chance that we're going to view him very differently next August than we did this August. 
Yeah, where are you at on Carr as a Raiders fan, John? Can can they roll with him for another three, four, five years, or is he just kind of a placeholder until they find Mr. Wright at quarterback? I have been all over the map with this guy since he came out of Fresno State. I mean, I think <laughs> originally I was very skeptical of him. I thought that he uh, wasn't good under pressure, like uh, pass rush, uh, really – up. Uh, discombobulated him. I think we've seen that a a lot uh, during his NFL career. And that's kind of been the ups and downs of Derek Carr's career. Uh, When you give him great pass protection, he usually is extremely efficient and, uh, you know, gets the ball out quickly and with, with decent accuracy and, the good things happen for the offense when, when you protect him. Now, when the offensive line is, not one of the top 10 in the league. Well, his play erodes really, really dramatically. And he starts racing around and seeing ghosts and just flinging the the ball at someone's feet instead of, uh, you know, making a, a real attempt to, to stand in and survey the field and, and take a hit. So, and I think he's had some, you know, relatively um, worrisome injuries that may have gotten into his head a little bit. But this year, he's playing great. And I think a lot of that does have to do with the offensive line taking a really big, unexpected step forward uh, from where they were last year. So, uh, you know, when you look at all his metrics, though, I mean, he's even throwing the ball downfield uh, more than usual. He's He's been such a dink and dunk guy. Uh, he's having some success at that. And even his grading under pressure isn't bad. Uh, this year, you know, within a few occasions that he is pressured in the pocket, he's doing um, better than he has in the past. So he's just having a great year. And I can't I can't say that there's enough quarterbacks out there. Um, certainly not, you know, sure things uh, coming out of college in, in a lot of cases that that we would need to or should go away from someone who's doing well right now. I mean, I don't, if, if we end up with a number one overall pick or something, I think there'll be a story to why we, how we got there. Um, uh, but, you know, and then we'd have to take, keep it in mind. But as of this moment, like uh, on the brink of Halloween here, I'm, I'm saying, yeah, let's, let's keep it going. Um, and, you know, obviously there's a chance that we'll, we'll be able to do better. Um, but having a decent quarterback in the, in the NFL is something that you, I don't think you should throw away because you can go a long time looking for one. And it's amazing. I, I thought he was going to be completely unstartable in one quarterback leagues after he lost Antonio Brown, because here's the guy who's supposed to be his alpha receiver now, all of a sudden, that's yanked away from him. You know, Tyrell Williams is the only sort of decent-looking receiver on that roster. Um, but he, even when Tyrell Williams went down a couple weeks ago, Carr somehow made it work throwing to Waller and Foster Moreau and Derek Carrier and, <laughs> and the backs and just somehow just managed to keep it going. Uh, Trevor Davis, you know, like he's – to his credit, like he has really done a lot with, you know, not a lot of high pedigree pass catching talent. So um, I'm with you, man. Like I'm surprised how well he's played this year. And, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of taking a step up. But you you mentioned the improved play of the offensive line. And, John, you've been doing preseason offensive line rankings for Yahoo for a few years now. 
This year, it seemed like you were pretty much on point with the top of your rankings. You had the Patriots, Colts, Cowboys, and Saints as your top four. And it seems like all of those offensive lines have lived up to expectations so far. But have there been any other offensive lines that have stood out to you? Like, which ones have surprised you the most relative to where you had them ranked before the uh, the well, I think, you know, funnily enough, because we're talking about San Francisco and Oakland uh, earlier, uh, those are two of the, the biggest risers uh, from my preseason rankings and the, and the most surprising success stories. I mean, I had them both pretty low, especially Oakland, near the bottom. Though I did think that bringing in Richie Incognito would, would help a lot. And uh, he missed some time with suspension and he's um, he's had some penalties, but for the most part, he's been as advertised in the in the running game and the run blocking of this unit has been really really excellent and 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 as i mentioned with the pass protection they're giving Derek Carr a clean pocket uh, at a very high percentage of his dropbacks so i'm i'm really impressed with with how the raiders have have looked especially uh, the critical, critical development of a guy that looked like he might be a bust uh, last season, um, Colton Miller, uh, that we we took in the first round uh, last season. He's really come on and is is doing some great things. And uh, Trent Brown has been in and out of the lineup, and Rodney Hudson might be hurt now. So we're going to have to stay tuned here, folks. But uh, hopefully, everyone can can get back on the field soon because they've been great and and injury problems have not slowed down the 49ers at all. I mean, I alluded to it earlier that Mike McGlinchey and Joe Staley have been injured uh, for months now, or at least, you know, a month. And uh, they, they really haven't, this running game hasn't missed a beat. The the run blocking is still really good. And uh, I, I think that's kind of amazing that they've made do with some undrafted free agents at tackle for the last few weeks. So that's great. And then I'll also add that Minnesota's uh, offensive line, I thought was going to be better, but, but nothing, nothing to write home about. And their run blocking for Dalvin cook has been phenomenal. And they definitely deserve some credit for the season that he's put together. Yeah. And it seems like the Minnesota offensive line has gotten really better week by week. Like the, I mean, Bradbury did not look very good the first couple of weeks and, uh, yeah, he's really come around and, um, you know, being able to move Elfline uh, to guard has improved them. Uh, like you said, the, that the 49ers have been able to shake off those tackle injuries because those I thought they were going to be just crippling to that offense, and it hasn't been the case at all. It's kind of amazing. And, um, yeah, what, what you said about Colton Miller is also really interesting because, yeah, I, people were writing him off as a bust. And uh, he's done his best to sort of shed that uh, label this year. Speaking of busts, which lines have stood out to you uh, for either being just terrible this year or for being disappointing relative to where you had them ranked? Well, I did expect that Mike Munchak leaving Pittsburgh to go to Denver would have an impact on Pittsburgh's offensive line. But, uh, you know, even that can't explain how generally miserable their blocking has been because they they lost him and they lost Marcus Gilbert to I believe the Cardinals and he he got injured in the preseason hasn't even played but this this line I mean you could look at the fantasy numbers and just see uh, James Connors yards per carry is an indicator of not so great run blocking um, but the the run blocking specifically with Pittsburgh has been shockingly bad. 
Um, and it's also weird because Matt Filer, uh, who replaced Gilbert on the right side at tackle, has actually been outstanding. It's been guys like uh, David Castro's a little uh, disappointing this season. Ramon Foster's showing his age. It's really, I guess, Marquise Pouncey, the center, who's uh, really, really subpar from his previous standards. He's having the worst season of his career. So I just I didn't see that coming, and I don't really understand it. So I guess maybe there's still some hope that they'll turn it around. Yeah, good point on Pittsburgh, John. They have definitely been one of the more uh, disappointing offensive lines. All right, John, now we have to shift our focus a little bit. I've been doing this podcast for well over a year. This is the 66th episode, and the biggest regret I have by far about any episode pertains to the first time I had you on. This was like (laughs) the Chris Farley show from Saturday Night Live where he's beating himself up and calling himself stupid (laughs) for asking Paul McCartney a dumb question. But in this case, John, it was what I didn't ask you that left me angry with myself. John, I had you on my show on Halloween week. We talked about the fact that you co-host a podcast about horror movies, and I didn't talk to you about any actual horror movies. And I was just smacking myself in the head after that for not bringing that up. A total opportunity missed, and I'm not going to miss it again. So let's rectify that. All right. First of all, first of all, tell everyone about Darkest Hour. Uh, when and how did you start this podcast? Uh, the Darkest Hour podcast started about oh maybe four or five years ago now, and the premise was was simple that we were going to take a, a franchise. Uh, we started with the Friday the 13th series, and we just went through every single movie ever made that had anything to do with uh, that series and Jason Voorhees. And we uh, just delved as deeply as possible into every single movie. Some of them ended up getting like two episodes, We're talking hours about these things. And if for people that really care about this stuff that grew up with these movies or you know just love them and uh, want to wallow in their highs and lows and and the humorous terribleness of some of them and the kind of weird theories that that three guys can come up with about what the real meanings are and the layers beneath each of the the, the characters and the themes and all of that stuff it's kind of a balance of uh sort of ultra nerdy uh film theory type stuff and um kind of just a a, a fun really off the cuff, uh, loosey goosey, um, sometimes quite drunken, actually uh, walk through, uh, some pretty entertaining movies and a a lot of terrible films that are still really fun to, to chat about and take way more seriously than anyone ever should. You guys have been hitting the Halloween series lately. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. What, what, uh, like of, of that series. So is like, is Halloween, is that at the top of your horror movie list oh not even close actually <laughs> oh really? were, no no i mean i've i've come to to love the character of michael myers more and appreciate these movies a lot more by you know digging so deep into these little cinematic autopsies that we do of each of them but uh no it was never one of my favorite series and uh you know probably I'll revisit some of these movies, um, but a lot of them I'm, I'm never going to see again. And uh, they just, you know, like the Paul Rudd Halloween movie is is kind of infamous for for its terribleness, and it's tremendously so bad it's good, entertaining. But uh, you know, it's not it's not an hour and a half that I'm going to spend again anytime real soon. 
What did you think of the, uh, I shouldn't say remake last year, but the Halloween uh, that came out last year with Jamie Lee Curtis? Basically, the premise was that nothing after the original Halloween ever happened. And, uh, you know, it's many years later. Uh, did you like that installment? Well, one of the funny things about doing a show like this is that if you're crawling up so deep inside a series like this, you know, all within, you know, a year, uh, the last thing you want is to see a greatest hits compilation. And and that's kind of how that movie played for me. Like almost every scene in it, I'm like, oh, they took that one from two. Oh, they took that one from four. All right. Now here's their riff on this scene that we saw in three of the previous sequels. And it just felt kind of a tired rehash with, without enough really new inspiration. And, and it's, it's competently done and it has some scares and, you know, certainly puts Michael through his paces in some fun ways and has a couple good kills and all that. But for the most part, I was, I was pretty underwhelmed by it. What was the first horror movie that really scared the shit out of you? Well, I mean, I have a very hazy movie of this, uh, something on television at my grandma's house that I saw called The Cat and the Canary. And I, I just looked it up on IMDb and it's not something anybody on earth has ever seen. But I remember, you know, some somebody coming out of a closet and they looked like they'd been, uh, you know, mummified, but they were like bleeding out of the, the bandages or I don't know. But this image just absolutely had me, uh, you know, having nightmares for a year after that. But my favorite memory in this vein is I saw Evil Dead at a birthday party in like sixth or seventh grade. And even on a, on a sunny uh, Saturday afternoon with five or six other kids, I just remember being absolutely terrified. And, and, and that ended up being one of my favorite movies uh, of all time. And I love the Sam Raimi Evil Dead films and Ash and Ash versus Evil Dead, the TV show. It's all great. Oh yeah. Those were fantastic. Uh, and, and I think that's why, uh, like I always hold Halloween up as uh, to me, it's always sort of a, a Mount Rushmore horror movie just because that was the first, uh, you know, and I'm dating myself here, but like when that came out, um, you know, I was probably like my son's age now, like 12. And I had this buddy whose older sister used to take us to horror movies and she took us to see the original Halloween. And I, that just freaked the shit out of me <laughs> at the time. I mean, that was like nothing. I think the first one she had taken us to was like Poltergeist, and that was sort of a warm-up act. And then Halloween just, uh, yeah, I lost it when I saw that one. Ooh, love, I there, love the first one. It's a classic, the John Carpenter. It really original. is. It really is. And I, it's hard for me like not to rewatch it when it's on, when they're constantly playing it on AMC this, this week, as they always do on Halloween week. Have there been any horror movies released in the last four or five years or so that you think are so good that they're going to be considered classics eventually? You know, not many. There's been a lot of interesting films that, you know, bring something cool to the table. But the classics, like for me, number one is It Follows, if you're familiar with that one. Oh, yes. It, that was terrific. Yes. Absolutely love that. I mean, just such a genius, brilliant new concept that that takes the story in in ways we don't normally see and the style was really unique the visuals and the whole mood of it some amazing bizarre images so i love that and also the witch which was a period film yes uh absolutely on my like top five list for sure that was just the yeah yeah, it's just so so compelling and 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 so you know accurate and authentic and uh, dark, just so pitch dark. And another really dark movie that I love that is a little more divisive. I think some people uh, don't roll with it, especially this 
uh, big, crazy, gonzo ending that the movie has, but Hereditary from a couple years ago uh, is is probably going to end up being one of my favorites of the decade because it just it's so so unbelievably unflinchingly dark and, and, and where the story goes and the big surprises that they they pull on on you and the sort of layering of the mystery and where uh, what's causing everything that's happening and where that ultimately takes the characters it just it really kind of stuck with me in a big way and I've seen it again since then and I think I think that's one I'll revisit from time to time yeah, I have not. Uh, is that the one with Tony Collette? Yes, absolutely. Okay, yeah, I've people have told me I need to see that one, and I've not seen yet that, and I have to remedy uh, that. So, John, I'll I'll hold your feet to the fire here. What are your five favorite horror movies of all time? You know that is tough. So I'm just going to kind of go based on personal uh, affection and my my desire to revisit them. So and or their kind of influence on me, The Shining. Suspiria, the original. These are all, by the way, going to be the originals of uh, of these films. The Shining, Suspiria, Dawn of the Dead, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and The Fly. Now, actually, that's the remake. <laughs> that's the David Cronenberg one uh, from the 80s. Yeah, the Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, fantastic movie. Really fantastic. And that was like, you wouldn't think that that was going to be going in for some reason. I didn't expect that to be a true horror film. And it really was, man. Yeah, I also love the sort of love story of it. It was a movie that kind of caught me at an age where, uh, yeah, I hadn't seen a lot of horror movies, but it, it, it works on so many levels. It's such a tragic love story. I also love American werewolf in London. I'll slip that in. Cause it kind of plays some of the same games with you uh, as an audience member. Yeah, that's an old one, but a good one. Um, yeah, I was trying to, I, I knowing that I was going to ask you that question, I had to put myself through the same exercise, and I came up with Halloween, The Witch. Nice. I also like The Witch a lot. The Shining has to be on the list. Uh, I was a big Babadook fan. The Babadook, I thought, was, was done really well. And uh, then I was kind of torn. I'm a little partial to uh, The Descent. Oh, yes. My, uh, <laughs> my brother-in-law actually worked on the trailer for that one. And um, there was a film, God, I want to say it was like maybe 15 years ago, High Tension. Yes. Do you remember that Love one? Love High French Tension. Movie? Oh, that was just, that one freaked the shit out of me. That was a, that was a good one. Um, Oh yeah. I mean, what the home invasion stuff always gets me because it's just your worst nightmare and it's realistic. And what a swerve at the end of that one too, man. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Have that's, you, that's fantastic. One more I have to ask you about, and I have not seen this one, but uh, last week I had Michael Salfino on and after the podcast, we were somehow just talking about movies and he told me that if I wanted to watch a horror movie that was just going to scare me senseless, I should watch The Autopsy of Jane Doe. Have you seen that one? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's a it's a really good one. You concur? That was a uh, a pretty freaky movie. Yeah, yeah, it's got a again, an original concept. We haven't seen it done before and it's, and it's very psychological and it just it's it's got a mystery that the the more that you unravel the mystery, the the more horrified you become at the, what you're learning, which is which is always great when when the horror is escalating on a psychological level. So we've we've got some some good titles for people to seek out this week for Halloween, and uh, I'm glad that I finally have righted this wrong with you, John. Not, <laughs> not talking horror movies with you the first time around. 
Um, all right, let's turn back to Oh, that fantasy. was great. <laughs> uh, so one newsy thing we should discuss, John, we're recording this on Monday and earlier today, the Cardinals traded for Kenyon Drake. Um, it didn't really seem like Arizona was going to be in on the Drake bidding, but David Johnson's lower leg issue appears to be more than minor. And now Chase Edmonds has a hamstring issue. So what were your first thoughts when you found out about this deal? Well, I mean, as somebody that was hoping to see Kenyon Drake get into a better situation, uh, I guess I'm I'm disappointed because I I don't really see him uh, carving out a big role after potentially a big role this Thursday if if they can get him up to speed that quickly, and so uh, it, it it could be. Uh, kind of a, a short-term reprieve for him if Edmonds and, and DJ get healthy soon because I don't think he's really going to uh, shoulder them out of the way for any significant role. It's, it's kind of just a quick fix Band-Aid situation for their banged up backfield. So ultimately, I mean, I think he's going to be a free agent shortly. We Hopefully the truthers on the Kenyon Drake uh, bandwagon will will get to revisit this next season. But uh, yeah, he's, he's running out of chances in the NFL. Let's We can put it that way. Yeah, and it sucks that he's got this short window to get it done. And then I think the, the Cardinals play the 49ers two of the next three weeks, and that run defense has just been impregnable <laughs> so far. So, yeah, it's it's hard to recommend that anyone gets too far out over their skis on uh, trying to acquire Kenyon Drake this week in their fantasy leagues. Um, no. <laughs> so the last couple of years when we've talked, you've had some really good years in the Scott Fishball lately. How is this year going for you so far? Uh, this is probably the, the worst year for me, actually, uh, in, in all the years. Yeah, in all the years I've been doing it. Um, I, I'll tell you, I'll put it this way. I took Melvin Gordon over Travis Kelsey. Me too. Wow. We're, <laughs> you did? Oh, oh we, are, we are leading parallel Scott Fishball lives here, man. Where, <laughs> where did you draft? Were you six by any chance? Uh, yeah, I was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Same here. Same yep, here. Da- I, David I, Johnson went fifth. And and then I, I was debating Gordon or Kelsey, and I decided, well, you know, I I, I think the bell cow running back is just is going to have more fundamental intrinsic value, even with the uh, scoring system. And yeah, Kelsey's been a little disappointing, I guess we could put it that way. But obviously, Melvin Gordon, ugh, what a mess. Yeah, same here. I, I had the exact same thinking there. Like Gordon was the last true proven bell cow guy, and then like you know what what was it? I, three, four days later that he announced he was going to be holding out. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew it was going to be tough to, to rebound from that. And then, you know, subsequently to that, I also lost Lamar Miller uh, from that team. Uh, I drafted Odell Beckham over Michael Thomas. Uh, my quarterbacks were Drew Brees, Mitch Trubisky, and Joe Flacco. <laughs> so <laughs> that'll tell you how it's going. I'm, I'm, I won this week, and I'm 3-5. and five. So all, all that's gone well is I drafted Aaron Jones and the Cowboys receivers, and I picked up Kyle Allen and off of waivers and Teddy Bridgewater helped get me through and Auden Tate has been nice, but no, uh, this has been a, not, not one of the, the more shining seasons for, for my fishbowl uh, record. Yeah. Well, you've got one more win than I have. And uh, last week, I think I was 901 out of the 1200 man field, 1200 <laughs> man and woman field. And um, 
Yeah, and, and I have not patched it together so well. I think my biggest pickup has been Dawson Knox so far. And uh, I have him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not writing he's not writing my ship, unfortunately. Um, no. <laughs> this year generally, John, what are what are some of the things you've been like most off about? Guys you were fading who have smashed or uh, guys you were high on in the summer who've who've flopped. What are what are things you've missed on? I was definitely in the camp that believed that OBJ and Baker Mayfield would be making sweet music together and or great rock and roll in the home of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Obviously, uh, that was a big swing and a miss all the way around. I was also not a believer in Derrick Henry. And for the most part, he's proven me wrong. I, I think I... I would benefit from having him on more of my teams. Uh, so, and I traded him away in a dynasty league. So, I, I think those are those are notable. Yeah, I, th- I think we're like minded on Henry, and I, I still want to say that the jury's kind of out on that because he's had a couple weeks here lately that have been sort of lacking. I, I just don't like that he does not have that uh, that out in the pass catching. Yep. Like you need, you want guys with multiple outs in any given week. And if he doesn't get you the rushing yardage and, and if he doesn't punch in a touchdown, you're usually going to be disappointed with the end result. Uh, what, are, what about some of the things you got right? What do you feel like you, uh, things that have helped you in your various leagues that you were kind of on top of? Well, I, I, I don't deserve huge credit for being an Aaron Jones guy this year, but I definitely was, and he's paid off handsomely. Uh, Chris Carson, I've always been a, a big fan of, so uh, that that faith uh, was tested in the whole days of the 50-50 split talk with Rashad Penny. And another guy that you know wasn't really very fashionable, but I I was wrong last year, and I, I said I'll be wrong this year, uh, probably. But I backed Leonard Fournette, and you know somewhat along the, the lines of Derrick Henry, um, in, in 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 some ways uh, he's been uh, just phenomenal with usage. Uh, but unlike Derrick Henry, he does catch the ball, just doesn't score touchdowns. Um, but uh, that that one's paid off pretty well for me, and uh, I, I I'm. I'm happy with those guys, definitely, uh, and how they've turned out. Yeah, those are some good calls at running back. And I, it's funny how you sort of, on some guys, you shift stances a little bit over the summer. And like in the in the spring, I was really aggressively getting Aaron Jones in a lot of best ball drafts. It seemed like, you know, every time I was doing a best ball in like April, May, June, I was always getting Aaron Jones, and. Um, and and then you know it came time to drafting my season long leagues and I, I didn't get him in any save for one league where I just fell sort of uh, it's a league I uh, where I co own a team with someone and my friend and I just sort of fell ass backward into him oddly <laughs> enough in a league full of Packer fans he like fell into the mid fourth round and uh, you know even my partner a Bears fan was like we got to get Aaron Jones here I'm like yes absolutely so. Um, it's funny how you wax and wane throughout the off season. You know, you, you start to maybe in your last drafts, like, cause I always try to do my redrafts at the last minute if possible. Um, you know, those teams often are the guys that I, I didn't get all summer or I didn't have on my dynasty leagues or in my best balls. And I'm just like, well, you know, this is my chance. If I want to enjoy them this year, I'm going to go against my grain a little bit and, and draft them. And yeah, consequently uh, I don't have 
that trio on my redraft teams. I do have Michael Thomas though, so I'm glad I corrected that wrong at the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So did you fall victim to last week's Ty Johnson hoax in any league? Did you spend bad dollars <laughs> on him anywhere? Well, yes and no. I mean, I was saved from myself ultimately because I guess I wasn't the biggest fool in any of my leagues. I was outbid across the board, but uh, I, I still would be kicking myself if I'd won him for the prices that I did put forth for him. So, yeah what what were what were your bids and what were the sort of bids he was going for that you saw? I mean, I he he definitely was going for a princely sum. I would say, you know, I saw him go in the twenty percent kind of a kind of a range, uh, twenty to thirty percent even. And I was definitely, you know, going with the, the basic sort of what I call a qualifying bid, where I'd be, you know, peeved if he went for less than that. I was I was interested. I, I have RB needs as as most people do at this point in the year. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think I went over ten percent, ten to fifteen at, 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 in a desperate situation. Okay, that's good. The the keep them honest bid. Yeah, God, I I think I bid like 27 or 28 on him in one league last week and did not get him and and wasn't particularly close to getting him. <laughs> I'm kind of glad yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and the, the weird thing is, and I mentioned this uh, in the introduction to the show that, you know, that he did wind up leading the team in snaps. I think he did have more yards from scrimmage than Trey Carson, but um yeah, and it, like there's still hope that he can get over, but uh, it was definitely not what the big Ty Johnson bidders were looking for. Um, speaking of the Lions, Sean, I think there was some concern that they might be exceedingly run-heavy this year with Daryl Bevel calling the plays, but that really hasn't been the case. And now with carry-on out, it seems like they're going to be airing it out. So is Matthew Stafford going to firebomb the Raiders this week? <laughs> Well, <laughs> we did get rid of Gary and Conley, so that's uh, addition by subtraction, as we proved uh, by targeting him relentlessly on Sunday. <laughs> uh, he plays for Houston now, um, but no, we we the Raiders definitely have one of the the weaker secondaries in the league, and I think that uh, absolutely fire up all your your Lions uh, pass catchers. Uh, it might even be a decent day uh, for TJ Hawkinson to, to come out of the woodwork in a desperate situation or in a uh, GPP or something like that. I think that uh, the, the Raiders struggle against uh, number one receivers, number two receivers, and tight ends. So I think uh, it should be should be a good week for Stafford. Uh, I like I like what he's doing. I mean, I've always been kind of a Stafford apologist, and uh, I definitely thought that his injuries last year kind of could be blamed for part of what was going on, and, and the play calling wasn't great. And I'm I'm happy uh, to see him rebound. And there was that run where he so reliably ranked like in the top five every year in passing attempts, and uh, you know, just the notion that he was going to be this game manager is just kind of turn up your nose at. at hearing something like that. Glad it hasn't turned out to be the case. Um, one last thing before I let you run, John, what is your take on the Zach Ertz, uh, and we mentioned him before, the Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard situation? Um, it, it just seems like the gap between these two just keeps getting slimmer and slimmer in everyone's weekly tight end rankings. Have we gotten to the point where they should almost be ranked just adjacent to one another, or is Zach Ertz still the preferred choice here? Well, I 
I am definitely like one of those guys that in almost every single uh, dynasty league, I was I was taking Dallas Goddard. Like I think I have more shares of him in my dynasty leagues than I have of any other player. So I've been waiting for this lotto ticket to pay off uh, since he came into the league. I'm a huge believer in in him, and I don't know though that there's anything about Ertz specifically uh, that's you know he's fading talent wise or athletically, or, you know, he's got any injuries that we need to be worried about. So I'm a little hesitant to, to move these guys too far and, and Goddard's, you know, doing it on not a, he's producing, but there's not a lot of targets here. There's just not a lot of targets in this passing game. Really. Um, it's been a strange year for, for Wentz. I think they're really missing the deep threat that Deshaun Jackson was going to provide. So I wouldn't go crazy with it. I think that more it's, it's, it's not, I, I'm streaming Goddard here and there in good matchups, and you know, obviously, tight end is such a wasteland. You're gonna you're gonna want to use him, but um, I think that it's more kind of taking the shine off of Ertz than really setting up Goddard as a reliable guy at this point. But I, I think that you know, Ertz is still going to be someone that most fantasy owners in seasonal leagues are going to have to keep playing if they have him. But Goddard is really good and I think you're going to love having him in all those dynasty leagues before very long. <laughs> yep. Well, John, I think I've kept you for long enough and after a year of beating myself up for not asking you about the f- favorite horror movies uh, on Halloween week a year ago, I can finally sleep peacefully. You've banished that demon. You've exercised <laughs> that ghost. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming back uh you're a really good dude. my pleasure i always enjoy talking to you and i really hope that you and liz will fire up uh x's and y's again at some point because you guys have amazing chemistry and uh it's always been one of my favorite pods people go find john evans Thanks, Pat. you bet john go find john evans on twitter at john f underscore evans john thanks again buddy thank you it's been a real pleasure as always happy halloween All right. To you too, John. Okay, people. That's all for the Halloween edition of Fits on Fantasy. And for the record, three best Halloween candies are mini Kit Kats, mini Twix bars, and those little packs of Whoppers malted milk balls. That is what I am going to be stealing from my kids' trick-or-treat stash this week. Um, So let me once again thank our guest, John Evans, He's a contributor to Yahoo Fantasy Football coverage and co-host of the Darkest Hour Horror Movie Podcast. Find him on Twitter at John F underscore Evans. As always, let me thank my producer, the esteemed Calm Kelly. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Uh, like me, Calm is very fired up about the Green Bay Packers 7-1 start. Calm reps the green and gold very well on the other side of the ocean. Thanks for that, buddy. And special thanks to my colleague, Melissa Jacobs. Uh, This podcast would not be possible without Melissa, who is the proprietor of thefootballgirl.com. And you can find Melissa on Twitter at thefootballgirl. Uh, She is also enjoying the NFL season so far as a fan of the San Francisco 49ers. But Melissa is also a little stressed out these days because she is a fan of the Washington Nationals who at the moment trail the Houston Astros in the World Series, three games to two. Hang in there, Melissa. Uh, But most of all, I want to thank all of you for listening to the show. And a special thanks to those of you who have rated and reviewed Fits on Fantasy. It really helps out me. It really helps out the show. If you haven't yet, 
well, I'm not going to stalk you like Michael Myers, but you've got a few minutes to spare and want to leave a rating and a review. I really appreciate it. All right, my friends, I'll be back again next week with another great guest. But until then, have a happy Halloween, and may your fantasy teams carve up your opponents like pumpkins in week nine. Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight better parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700.